This year, I decided to celebrate my winning moments as a mom. Here are my 13 fabulous moments as a mom. Welcome to Epic Mom Life. I am your host, Kara Peterson. This show is sponsored by The Possum's Tale, a unique book adventure for your 6 to 12 year old child. Let's jump into today's show. 13 parenting wins that I am really proud of. This year, I decided to celebrate my winning moments as a mom. It's so funny because last year I looked at all of 2022 and then I looked at my life because the new year is a great time to reflect. And for some incredibly stupid reason, I decided to start the year off negatively. I started with my top 10 do-overs as a mom. I have no idea why I put all of the bad vibes out there. This year, I am laughing in the face of superstition and I'm starting with my 13 amazing moments as a mom. What I did to make myself feel really proud of myself because this is what I did right as a mom. You have heard you are your biggest critic. There was never an instruction manual that came with the kids. You hear these or something like them, there's so many quotes out there, but these all breed disaster for moms. Raising healthy, happy, kind, the list goes on and on and on for the way we're supposed to raise our kids. It's so easy to focus on all of these, but it's a huge responsibility. And when we focus on them, we end up wallowing in our shortcomings and where we need to improve. But it's just as important to focus on what we've done right and to acknowledge our strengths and what we do well. By recognizing what makes us fabulous, we can find confidence and pride in our roles as mothers. Oh, and this also shows our children great role modeling skills. So take a moment to celebrate the things you do exceptionally well as a mom. You deserve it, and it's a great way to start the year. So here are my 13 fabulous moments as a mom. Number one, I made dinner. I made an actual dinner. Sometimes it was breakfast for dinner, but there was an actual dinner for all of us at least four times a week, and we sat down and ate together. There were no electronics, and the time that we ate fluctuated a lot based on the activities. Our life was no less crazy than almost everybody else's household. So sometimes dinner was at four, and sometimes dinner was at seven. We learned about each other. This is where we would talk about random things simply because I had usually already done three fingers. Yeah, that's one of my other numbers. I'll explain that later to learn about their actual day. Number two, we played board games. Being together was a really big deal to me. I wanted my kids to know each other. I also wanted to have regular time together as a family. My family, when I was younger, played a lot of cards when the family all came together. We had a very small unit as a family, and so our really tiny unit as a family never really played games together that much. But when we saw extended family, it was always cards. 
I remember those times very fondly. So when my children started getting older, I started learning age-appropriate games for each age that my child's or my children would get to as they got to those ages. We started regular gameplay, not just memory with cards or old maid here and there, but when my older son was nine and my younger son was four, it was really important to me that I started finding games that both the kids could play together. We started with a game that we called Bones. I thought this was a game that we made up. It was actually made up by another family member, I thought. Turns out this is a game that a lot of people buy. We just use dice and a pad of paper, but it's called Farkle, F-A-R-K-L-E. And it really helps with math skills and it's a lot of fun. As the boys grew, so did the complexity of our games. I loved it. However, with three men in the house, sometimes the competition would get really ugly. So I learned about co collaborative games. There's a link in the notes all about collaborative games. These made family game night experience much nicer and it brought us together and it made us feel really good. In their 20s, my boys, we still get together for game nights. Three, I listened. I did not want to be that mom who did the uh-huh, yep, that sounds great, and not really hear anything that my kids said. I wanted to actually hear them. When my boys would try to talk to me, even when they were little, I would put away what I was doing and I would focus on what they were saying. This was a time when you would still write checks in the checkout line at the grocery store. I remember my kids would try to talk to me in that checkout line and I would have to say to them, I can't listen to you right now. You need to not talk to me yet. Because I would have to write the check and listen to the cashier and the cashiers would be like, you know, this lady isn't very nice to her kids, but it was because Everything that my kids said I really valued and I wanted to be able to give them my full attention As soon as I was done writing my check and finishing up whatever that cashier needed My attention was focused on the kiddo and I would listen to what they had to say I showed interest in their world and their viewpoints. I wanted them to feel important and I asked their opinions Now there is a flip side to this. I love to talk I'm also a person who strategizes and problem-solves and I am really good at that. This can get in the way of my listening skills. So as these amazing boys have gotten older and they have had issues that have gotten more complex that I have felt that I could help them problem solve, I have had to try really hard to keep my mouth shut and my ears open and my heart open. Four, I recognize my flaws. Yeah, I just thought of this one as we were doing number three. I wasn't always good, and I'm still not always good at keeping my mouth shut and my ears open. Because sometimes I just go straight into problem solving mode. A really good thing about me as a mom is I recognize what I do wrong. And I really try hard to work on it. And you can call me on it. I am also capable of saying, I'm sorry, I screwed up plenty. And so with my boys, I am not afraid at all to say, hey, I really messed this up and I am so sorry. Five, consistent. I often say that the very worst thing about motherhood 
is consistency. It's hard. I can't tell you how often I was exhausted and I simply wanted to cave to the easy or the whining. I didn't. Seriously, for like 25 years, remember there's a five year spread for so like 23 years, I didn't cave. My kids repeatedly told me that I was the meanest mom. They didn't mean the meanest mom, they meant the most consistent. I set a guideline or a rule and I stuck to it. I remember my older son wanted a cell phone in sixth grade. I told him, honey, seriously, I'm on you like white on rice. What on earth do you need a cell phone for? He did not get that phone until he was in eighth grade, which is what we had previously discussed. Neither did his younger brother, five years difference, who had much more pressure as even the teachers were using phones in the classroom. I simply had the younger brother take an iPod. <laughs> You're sitting there going, what in the world's an iPod? Because it had limited Wi-Fi capability, so it could do the functions that were needed in the classroom. But he didn't get that phone either until he was in eighth grade. It was hard. I had to listen daily to the reasons why I made my boys different. However, in the end, both boys agree that it was fine and they figured out how to manage life without a cell phone attached to them all of the time in their early teens. Six, three fingers. I know, I mentioned it earlier and you were like, what in the world is three fingers? And you're just dying to know. This became so important that I had created a like document or whatever, PDF, that's 10 family traditions. They're unique family traditions that I don't think that anybody should be without. This is one of the ones that I feel is so important. I started this early. When my oldest was four in preschool and it kind of started as a counting game and learning activity as well. But later it became a great visual. I mean three fingers, how do you miss that, right? My boys would go to school and a lot of times I would pick them up because we were off onto some other activity or after school function. Or they would come home. I loved the bus. Oh my heck, on days that they could ride the bus, that was like a vacation day for me. But anyway, the first thing that would happen is three fingers. I would hold up three fingers in the air and I would say, who wants to give me theirs first? And the boys would tell me three things that happened to them that day. And you think that that's not very unusual. A lot of people do that. But one, I didn't ask them how their day went because that's a fine, okay, yes, no. All of this required them to have conversation. I just said, who wants to give me their three fingers? And then they had to start talking. The beauty of this is this would be the things that stuck out the most in my boys' minds. Not the best, not the worst, it was what really mattered or bothered them. I learned about friends and then all of a sudden those friends would just disappear from the whole talk about scenery, right? I wouldn't hear about them at all. And so I would start to wonder what happened to these people. After a while, I would say, so I haven't heard about Steven in a while. And based on my child's reaction, I could see if something sad had happened or if he just hadn't mentioned that person because, you know, other things had been more at the forefront of his mind. But I learned a lot about my children's relationships and I learned a lot about what was going on in their lives. Things that they might not normally 
tell me. It's funny because you also learn about your children's preferences about what goes on. For example, I learned that teachers who had bad classroom management really bothered my younger son, while my older son had a lot of fun, like the rest of the kids, with teachers who had no idea how to control a classroom. They would never, ever come right out and say these kind of things, but based on how they talked and what they said, and after listening years and years, remember every single day, about the three fingers, it was pretty easy to read their signals. Seven, sex talks. I think I handled the sex talks really, really well. Even though we had boys, I was the one who did all these kinds of conversations. I don't have much trouble talking about anything, so this wasn't any different. I would look for those natural opportunities where a really great sex lesson could come up. But I also took advantage of the dining room table. Remember, we were having dinner about four nights a week together at the table. The only thing about the conversations at the table was, remember, I had a five-year spread. And it is said that a younger child has the sex education of the oldest child because they hear everything. Well, with the five years, I wanted to be aware of that because I don't know that they're always ready for all of that. The other lesson in sex education is that you only give a child what they're ready for. So whatever they ask you for, they seem to be ready for. So you give them what they ask for, but no more than that. So I tried to talk to my older son separately unless the lessons just came up naturally. I was frank and honest. I was that open kind of person. We live in a very rural area where sex education is taught in the schools. However, the sex education that is taught is one where the powers that be seem to believe that if you don't teach kids how to avoid pregnancy, they simply won't have sex. I am more of a let's give them all the tools we can kind of person because I am more pragmatic, I guess. Does that mean I encouraged my kids to have sex? Absolutely not. Does that mean I did not want either of my boys to be a father at 16? Absolutely yes. So I was much more frank and open than another mom may be comfortable with, but in the end, the most important thing is that my boys always felt comfortable to talk with me about sex, and there's a little bit of a hitch there. My youngest son doesn't like to talk about it much. I remember one conversation, it came up naturally, and he's like, oh my gosh, it's going to be that conversation. Just get it off your chest so we can just be done for this year. <laughs> so he could talk to me, but it wasn't his favorite topic. They knew I would not laugh about anything, and I would not hold judgment. And neither of them became fathers during their teen years. Eight sibling friends. We wanted a really big family and we were just not able. I have seen men, and I know, I know this is horribly stereotypical, but it seems to me that a lot of men may have friends, but they don't seem to have someone that they can turn to. A lot of their conversations seem fairly surface. They don't go into deep feelings or emotions. So it registered very high on my important list that my boys were there for one another. I wanted my boys to be each other's person, the person they could depend on, the person who would 
not judge them, the person who would take their side. And that sounds funny because your side isn't always the right side, but sometimes you just always need somebody to be on your side. And I felt that brothers should be that for each other. And the person who would always listen. How did I do this? I wasn't a really fluffy mom. I wasn't good at the soft and nurturing as much. I was more frank and realistic. I told them that there would be a day when mom and dad were gone, like my grandparents. They would be the only family they had left. We're that small family. We didn't have a lot of kids. They would need each other and want each other to celebrate holidays and special occasions. I told them that one day, mom, me, would be old and need to have someone come and keep her company regularly. They would want to be the best of friends so they could work out a schedule so no one got stuck taking me to lunch all of the time. At the time, we were taking out my husband's grandfather, who had Alzheimer's, out to lunch fairly regularly, and the boys thought of this as a loving duty, but not a real fun thing. I also told them that one day they were going to want the other one to cover for them so that we, mom and dad, did not find something out, and they would need to be able to hold each other's secrets. Then, every single time, I got the whining and the tattling. I said, is anybody in danger? And when no one was in danger, I told them to go work it out. I think this, with the family dinners and the three fingers and the games, taught them empathy for each other and they learned what struggles they faced in and out of school and they were just good brothers. This is something that I worked really hard to cultivate and frankly in the end I got lucky. Number nine, cooking and laundry. Once they turned 12 they did their own laundry. Honestly this was for practical and private reasons as much as it was for them to learn life skills. They had already been folding and putting away their own laundry for years. But once boys turn 12, many things start to happen. First, have you ever been around a teen boy? If you have not, you need to understand, because if you have teen girls, these teen boys may be in your car at some point in time, these preteen boys, whatever, they have quite possibly the smelliest feet in the world. It is the weirdest thing. Almost no boy escapes this weird phenomenon. I wanted nothing to do with those hampers or socks. I explained how to unroll or unball the socks so that they could wash them. If they chose not to unball them and keep that icky, awful smell in them, that was on them, but I was not going to be dealing with that. Also, if my boys had track marks in their underwear, I didn't want to know. I taught them when they were younger all about that, and when they were younger, they did not have track marks, so I had done my job as a mom. Also, I had procrastinators. They would have a game, both my boys were very athletic, they would have a game and need a sports jersey. They could not come to me and say, why didn't you wash this? They had been in charge of their own washing, of their own clothes for years, so it was not my deal. There was never 
ever an argument over when things needed to be washed when or why things weren't done. We just never had that. So, survival for me and great life skills for them. The second reason, did you read number seven? I spoke frankly about sex. Something else happens to boys when they turn around 12. I did not want to wash their sheets. We put them on a rotation for sheets and towels and they took care of it. This saved them any embarrassment. And even though we never really talked about it other than this can happen, they had the tools to take care of everything themselves. Cooking. I never had actual cooking lessons. I did have them help me in the kitchen regularly, and when they did their homework, it was at the kitchen counter while I was preparing dinner. They were surrounded by the fixing of food. I also made them each a Peterson cookbook for when they went off to college. This had all of their favorite recipes, rankings of how difficult and sometimes a brief story or description. I put the recipes in a three ring notebook so that they could add recipes as they grew and found more that they liked. Teaching them life skills of cooking and laundry were two of the things I did right. 10, vacations. We had two vacations almost every year. Both were incredibly important to the overall well-being of our children. The first one, which we still do, is our annual trip to Oregon. Every now and then we would go somewhere else, either in addition to or instead of Oregon. However, the kids always knew that we planned to go away, relax, have fun, explore, and just be us as a family. They valued these memories of us going on our yearly vacations. What did we do? You guessed it, we played games. We also played on the dunes, walked the beach, built fires, and went off of our schedules. We also talked about what was important to us, what we dreamed about, what we wanted in life. As the kids are little, I mean, you go from, I remember Alec, he wanted to be a comedian. He wanted to talk to whales, so I thought he wanted to be a marine biologist, but no, he just wanted to talk to whales. He wanted to be a pediatrician. I mean, they go through all these stages, right? Andrew did the same thing. They go through all these stages of what they want to be in life. And it's just fun to hear them just talk about all of their lives and their dreams and what they want to be. It helped us bond in a different way. The other vacation that we had yearly that seems like it doesn't have anything to do with me being a good mom, but absolutely does, is my husband and I took a vacation alone each year. Sean and I needed adult time, alone time, together. If you've read Six Ways to Connect with Your Partner Daily, and that link will be in the notes, you will have heard about bath time together to maintain that daily connection. Well, we needed alone time together for more than 15 minutes. You could only hide in the bathroom for so long. When the kids were old enough to be left alone, but young enough that we did not want to go too far, we did a lot of staycations. Sean and I would get a local hotel room and just be tourists. We'd go out to dinner, walk the square, listen to a local band, go to the art shops, talk and connect. And we were 15 minutes from the house. So if anything came up and we were needed, we were not at all far. These times made Sean's and my connections stronger, which in turn helped me be a much better mom. 11, the Phoenix trip. For a similar reason, or maybe just my sanity, 
Each year, I went all by myself to Phoenix. Phoenix is two hours away. The kids were young. Excuse me. I was a full-time mom. My husband traveled. Even when he was home, the kids looked at me for everything. I was pretty much the full-time parent. I could get pretty burned out and exhausted. And then the holidays happened. Sometimes all of the expectations, whether they were real or whether they were put on by myself, overwhelmed me. I would get a three-day pass to Phoenix all by myself. My, my mission, if I chose to accept it, was to do all of the Christmas shopping. The stuff for the kids, the hubby, the parents, the sibs, the neighbors, the white elephant gifts, the teachers, friends, etc. Anything that was going to get bought, I was to buy that weekend. Understand, this was way before online shopping, so I had a fabulous excuse. I found a fabulous hotel that was fairly inexpensive, close to a huge mall in Phoenix. On my way, I hit the halfway, um, half price books to get all those last minute books to fulfill my perfect gifts for the nieces, which was 25 days of books. There's a link to that article. Then I spent the entire first day shopping. Now the only reason I could accomplish this is because I had already spent a month writing every single person's name down and all of the gifts that I would buy. So I already had my list of exact gifts that I would pretty much be buying. I would be dragging bags down the aisles of the like stores in the malls, like in the indoor malls. Everything that every police officer tells you not to do, like dragging these big bags to my car trunks and sticking them in my car trunk and then shutting the trunk and then going back. I was doing, okay? I was exhausted. One, I remember one time I went and I wore the wrong shoes. I was walking barefoot, for, fortunately in Phoenix, it's warm. I was so exhausted that first day, every single time, but I also finished everything on my list that first day. I then got takeout food at an actual restaurant, not fast food, and sat for dinner in front of the hotel and watched whatever I wanted on TV. It was like the biggest holiday ever. I wrote stories watched TV, worked out at the hotel gym. I got fabulous food for the remaining two days. It was a way to completely recharge and rejuvenate. This was probably the best gift I got from my husband each year because while I was doing this, he took care of the kids during this time. I came back missing my kids and feeling like the holidays were really wonderful once again. Twelve. You dream it, I help you achieve it. One day, my older son was grumbling, saying that I loved my younger son more than him. I asked him why he thought this. For a little background, at the time, my younger son was a sophomore in high school, and my, younger, and my older son was a junior in college. He said that when he was Alec's age, the younger son, I was much harder on him than I was on Alec. Again, I asked him to clarify because the rules were the same for both boys regarding curfew, friends, alcohol, etc. Remember, I was consistent mom. He said that I required him to have tutors, take AP classes, study for the PSAT, etc. <laughs> I totally understood now. I told him that it was my job to help him accomplish whatever he wanted in life. 
So let's just take a walk down what if. Let's say that Alec wanted to be an actor. What will Alec need to be an actor? Well, he'll need acting lessons. He will need to participate in high school and community theater. He will need to take voice and dance lessons. I think he'd probably benefit from an improved memory. He's going to have to memorize a ton of scripts. So he will also need to be enrolled in some kind of memory or brain training program. Toastmasters would be a great program so that he could learn how to project and speak. As his mom and the person who will be trying to help him accomplish his dream when he goes to the next step from high school to wherever, I will be making him take all of these during his childhood and teen years. Now, Andrew, let's look at you. What did you want to do when you went to college? He looked at me and he said, well, I wanted to get into an out-of-state college because I wanted out of here and I wanted to be a mechanical engineer. Me? Yep. And what did you need to achieve this? And the light bulb turned on in my kiddo's brain. You could just see it. I needed AP classes, good grades, well-rounded interests, leadership. I needed to score well on my standardized tests. Exactly. And what did Alec want to do when he graduated from high school? He wanted to be an auto mechanic. Yes. And he also planned to go out of state. However, he planned to go out of state at a community college that offered trades. He did not need to take AP classes. The major standardized tests or even show major leadership skills to achieve his dream. I did have him take or try different trades like welding, which will also help him in auto. And he did do an internship at an auto shop in high school. I felt that by loving my boys equally, but recognizing their dreams separately and helping them to accomplish them in their own ways, I really did a good job as a mom. Even if they felt at the time it wasn't fair, I hope that as they grow older, they will see that it actually was me loving them uniquely for them. 13, the whiteboard. I have talked about the whiteboard before and I actually talked about the whiteboard last year in my top 10 do-overs as a mom. The link to that is in the notes. This is because it made such an enormous difference in our lives. Some of us simply cannot remember oral directions. I did not realize that, which is embarrassing because I was a teacher. If you can give your children a list of what your expectations are for the day and it's all written out, they can more easily achieve it. I bought a 12 by 12 square of whiteboard. I bought a couple. And the whiteboard material at Home Depot. Each morning, I would write what the boys needed to do. They actually loved this because they could erase a chore when it was done. So for all of those list people out there who love to check things off and you even start writing things in just so you can do the check, like, oh, I showered, I ate breakfast, you know, things you're going to do anyway, just so you can get that check. 
the boys had that same feeling of accomplishment. There are a number of different kinds of chore charts that you can use. I actually created a video to show you how to make your own, so it's very personalized, and the video link is in the notes. My boys, however, really liked the simple whiteboard. As a mother, there are times when self-doubt can creep in. But in those moments, that is when we must turn to our successes, no matter how small they seem, and allow ourselves to take pride in our accomplishments. Sit down and think about what you do as a mom that is really, really great, and write it all down. I hope that my list of 13 great moments as a mom have inspired you to make your own list. The movie quote this week, I just want you to be happy. Whatever you decide, you will always be my son, Kayla Tarzan. If you are hearing this message, you've listened to the entire episode. And for that, I want to send you a huge thank you. Please leave me a comment or review and share with other moms you know. Get in touch in the comments or on Kara's social media networks. See you next week for a new episode.